Let us pray. Father, it is you who carries our burdens. It is you who gives us hope in times of sorrow. It is you that gives us life everlasting. We are gathered here tonight because on this side of grace, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you weekly, daily, hourly, every second. We want to hear from you, Father. Because we know you are good and gracious. Father, so every soul in here tonight wants to hear directly from you. We know that you know us intimately. You call us by name. You call us yours. You call us your treasure. Father, we are unworthy of this. We do not deserve to be able to call on your name and to know that you are there. But because you are good and gracious, this is the truth. That we call upon your name and expect for you to be there because you are good and gracious. So as your word is brought to us tonight, as we pray and we lift up the burdens in our hearts to you, Father, would you soothe them as we sang? Would the words that we just offered up to you in worship ring true? No problem too big that you cannot solve it. No sorrow too deep that you cannot soothe it. Father, please carry us. Carry us tonight that we would find our hearts amidst everything that we could have experienced before walking into this room tonight would feel light. There would be a realness and a rawness of our relationship with you because you are the one actively working in our hearts, circumcising them and unburdening them, that we have nothing to hide from you and everything to gain. So, Father, would we gain another moment, another second to experience your grace here tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, we, we were going to go into First Timothy chapter 6 tonight, and I was ready for that. Uh, it's, we'll, we'll table it to next week. It, and just so you know, that's the last chapter, and then we're pal with First Timothy. Um, we might naturally go into Second Timothy, but then a lot of you are kind of dishing books, saying, hey, what about this book or that book? So I don't know. It's on the, all on the table now. We're praying what, what could go next. It's always exciting to finish a book and start a new one. Um, but the text for last week is, is going to be about your workplace. So believe it or not, I mean, I've been praying a lot for all of us and our workplaces and, um, yeah, just to, biblical work ethic. That's what we're going to be seeing last week, uh, next week. Um, Trevor prayed this. Um, you can even kind of catch the tone in Gabe's prayer. There is a heaviness. Um, there's a heavy heart tonight. And um, it's because our sweet sister Faye had passed through the waters this morning into the presence of God, and um, and and so I know that as that kind of gets around the room, I I do understand that Faye meant a lot to many of us, uh, especially here. You know, it was um, <laughs> ten months ago, February first. Her and Jennifer walked down that ramp, and the first words I heard out of Faye's mouth 
I know nothing of this religion. I'm just here with my friend. Ten months ago, I know nothing of this faith that you guys say you have. And tonight, she knows everything and more. More than any of us. No. I'm tripping too, because her body is a block up the street. It's where they had her resting right now in the morgue. At the place where I rhythmically pray before coming here. You know, family, there are moments in this journey and in this life where, you know, we, we have to just follow the Spirit's lead and embrace life as it comes as a family. And so much of the reason why we're going to table 1 Timothy 6 is this is the present moment. Um, we will keep preaching through books of the Bible and then when there's moments in life where, because even now I know that that news is still fresh, and um, I am thankful that church, as we study in the Bible, is a place and a space for sadness. I'm really sad tonight. I've been sad. We've been sad as we've been praying and hurting for faith, and spending time with the family. Um, and this is a place and a space to not pretty that up. So, and just kind of processing it with you right now, together. Um, good, got to spend good time with the family today, and Jennifer, and just, this is, what do you do? It hurts. We know the sovereignty of God. We know God is good. We know all these things to be true. And it doesn't take away any of that, but it hurts right now. We praise God she passed through the waters this morning, but it hurts because she's typically here with us. And I know faith meant a lot to much of you, not merely just because she was a sweet sister, but for those of us who, you guys who know Faye, she, in these 10 months, she lived her faith out hardcore, did she not? I am always amazed how real the bond that God has given us as believers and, and why I'm always amazed by that, especially when we think of our sister Faye, is it sure doesn't feel like 10 months, right? I mean, for a lot of us who've got to know each other over the year, the years in this place, that even is not very long too, but doesn't, it, doesn't this run deeper, this bloodline of faith that we have? And I know that for many who... We're visiting the, the family this week and stuff like that. I mean, that reality really showed um, that there is a real familial affection that we have as believers. And it's always incredible to me that, you know, as, as, as believers, we, we are 
bonded. And when one of our own passes through the waters, there's a sweet joy, but it's so mingled also with a, a sad sorrow. And so we do want to allow there to be space in this place to grieve, to be sad. Um, a few hours ago, um, I'm on the phone with John Allison, and um, I mean, we all know John, and great friend, and um, just talking to me in a moment of real heaviness and weakness, and um, yeah, he just was, and, and, and in his graciousness and kindness, he's like, hey, you'll be okay tonight, like, I'll, I'll sub for you, and I'll be super honest with you guys. I said, thank you so much. That would be really nice. And so as we were fellowshipping and talking on the phone, I mean, I'm just sharing with him, like, John 11 has just been a reflection that's been holding me together this past three days. And uh, he said, man, I've been reflecting on John 11 a lot too. And so in just a short time, John's going to sh- come up and just share um, from John 11 for us tonight. Now will be our bread to feed on. And I thank the Lord that God is raising up able men in our church that could do this. I was so ministered to by Brandon last week. And um, I thank John for just call. I didn't even ask him. I, I, I was just going to come up here and just be a mess before you and ask God to give us grace and try to just, you know, not make anything up, but just see what's there. And then he was like, let me help. So... Um, before John comes up and, and brings the word out of John 11 for us tonight, um, we're family, and I want to just lead us in a short time um, of prayer. And, and when I say lead us, like, I really want us to pray together. Um, I mean, please pray for Jennifer. <laughs> yes, it's her best friend, it's her sister. Yeah, we know this. Uh, but she's here tonight. You know, when we have sad moments in life, family, we don't need to run away from each other. I really wanted to be here tonight. I mean, I wasn't ready to preach, but I was sure excited to see you guys just be here. Whatever we're all bringing in tonight. That's the beauty of a midweek, right? We always come in the middle of whatever it is we're in the middle of. And God's in the middle of the middle of that middleness. And it's like, yeah. And we'll just do that together tonight. So um, a couple prayer points, though. And then Brother John will come up and share. Please pray um, for the family. So her brother, Andy, um, sister-in-law, Denise, her niece, Amanda, and her husband, Andy. Um, there's many others, right, um, other family and friends that will be visiting. But please pray for the family. Um, please praise and thank God for the grace of Faye in her life. You know, if, you're, if, if in this prayer time right now you, you don't have words, but you have memories, there are things that the Spirit will bring to mind, kindnesses that God has lavished on you through her. Praise Him in your spirit. This is the time to do that together. Um, and so, you know, if, you, whoever, if you're comfortable to just kind of hooey together in smaller groups right now, I'll open our time in prayer. And, and just for a few minutes.
pray for the family. We'll praise and thank God for Faye. However the Spirit leads in that window of time. Um, and then I'll bring that prayer time to a close. And then Brother John will come up and open up the Bible for us tonight, okay? So um, it doesn't have to be big groups. You could just be twos, threes. Um, but just naturally do that. I'll, I'll lead us and, and maybe go ahead and leave a space for us to pray together. Father, right now, as a family, we come before you, Lord. You know and see all things. Life is a mist. Just like that. And in this tender time, Spirit of God, would you minister to us? Let us be okay even to sit in silence. For it says in Romans that the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf when all we have is groans. And that's okay. And so church, as the Spirit of God is moving here in and through us, minister to one another and Worship the Lord and pour your hearts out. And let's just spend these moments right now praying. Praying for Faye's family and praising God for the gift of our sister Faye. Go ahead and do that for a few moments together. You just can slowly bring it to a close. Father, we thank you for the, the great grace that you've given us to be a family, to be together, to walk through all seasons of life together. There is a time for everything. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time to laugh, and there's a time to weep. And we're so thankful for the Word of God. Thank you so much for the Bible. We'd be so lost without it. We would not know how to think, how to feel, how to live, how to be. And so thank you that the Bible that you've given us is everything we need for life and godliness. And it speaks to all scenarios and situations and seasons. So speak, Lord, as was prayed earlier. We need to hear from you. Keep our eyes, our hearts fixed on you. We pray for our brother John tonight and that you'd fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Scriptures that you set before us this evening. And we graciously receive it now. Be in this place. You are in this place, God. We thank you so much for our sweet sister, Faye. Thank you for these for us here at the church, these 10 months of grace that we've been able to have with her, to see her and her profession and her baptism and the journey from not knowing you to knowing you and to now knowing you in full. Oh, we root her on, Lord. We thank you for her. 
all the prayers that we prayed for her family and her friends, and maybe perhaps even those here tonight who are in pain. Hear our prayers, God, and do more than what we've asked. Do measurably more than what we've asked. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. Let salvation come to her household. Father, be with us now as we look to you. And help us to just make the most of moments like these together. Thank you so much for the Sohana, the transparency, and that when we say we're praying for one another or hurting for one another or feeling for each other, it's not cliche. It's very real. Thanks be to God for that. So we lift these things up in Jesus' name. And all God's children said. Thank you guys for being here. It's good to see you all. It's been a little while since I've been here on Wednesday. Um, Yeah, I uh, offered to speak for Chris tonight when I heard about Faye earlier today. And um, what I have to share is not very long tonight, um, but I hopefully helpful as we all remember Faye and grief together. Um, The Bible tells us about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And uh, the Bible is not uh, a stranger to sadness and to suffering and to sorrow. We spent a whole season in um, a book all about that, right? Um, And uh, I think it's common for us in America to see our faith as a way to avoid sorrow, a way to sort of get around the pain uh, of life. Um, But the Bible, that's not the kind of faith that the Bible describes. And the kind of faith that the Bible describes is one of uh, suffering and sorrow and faithfulness in the pain. Uh, So we're going to look at John 11 tonight. Uh, Jesus acquainted with sorrows, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We're going to see a time uh, where Jesus experiences this grief, and we're going to hopefully look at, at his example tonight for our, for our grieving and for our sorrow as well, and how we can put our faith in the middle of all of that. So this is John 11. We're going to read most of the chapter tonight. <clears throat> John 11, starting in verse 1, says... Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and Martha. Uh, sorry, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, "Lord, he whom you love is ill." But when Jesus heard it, he said, "This illness does not lead to death." It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Mary and Martha, that Lazarus becomes ill. Um, they're in Bethany, not far from Jerusalem. Jesus at this point is a long way away. It says he had gone up right before this. He had gone up across the Jordan to where Uh, John had been baptizing before, so he's far from this place. And this messenger comes to Jesus, and he's he's on behalf of Mary and Martha, and they say, come, your friend Lazarus is sick, come to him uh, to heal him. 
And Jesus tells the disciples, this, this doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Mary and Martha had faith that Jesus could heal their brother. They didn't, they didn't question it. They sent someone to Jesus immediately to bring him back to heal Lazarus. They knew, they knew Jesus had the power to heal him. Uh, and Jesus, when the messenger comes, points the disciples to the glory of God. He said, this, this isn't about death that's about to happen. This is about God's glory and the glory of the Son, the glory of Jesus. He says, this is about my glory to them. And he makes a promise. It's not going to lead to death, this illness. It's not going to lead to death. But it'll be for this glory, this greater glory. Two chapters earlier in, in John 9, there's a really similar conversation. The disciples and Jesus, they see a man who was born blind from birth. And they say, Jesus, was it this man who sinned? Or his parents that sinned that he was born blind this way? Like, whose fault? Is this Jesus, that this man is blind? And uh, Jesus says in verse 3, It's not that this man has sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. That there is a deeper, there's an ind indicator that there is some deeper thing that is happening here. In chapter 9 with the blind man. And again here in chapter 11, Jesus is saying, This is for God's glory. And you'll see. You'll just wait for it, and you'll see. We also see right after this, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I think John puts that in there for us explicitly so that we don't forget it for the rest of the story. Because Jesus loves them, John says, remember that, because what's about to happen. Because we're going to see what happens next, and we're going to say, I thought Jesus loved them, right? And John says, don't forget, Jesus loved them. And then we have this giant word, so. Jesus loved them, so he waits two days longer. To me, it seems like if I love someone and I have the ability to heal them, I'm going to go right away. Thank God that I'm not Jesus. Because it says, because Jesus loved them, he waited. He waited two more days in the place where he was. He has a deeper glory in mind. We want to run away from pain. We want to run away from hardship. And Jesus has a deeper glory in mind for not just for Faye, not just for us, for his whole church, for his whole people. He's got a deeper glory in mind. So in verse 7. <clears throat> then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So Jesus, after he waits two days, he says, it's time to go now. We're going to go back to, Jeru- to, to Judea, to Jerusalem. Um, and, the, and the disciples are confused because they just tried to kill you, Jesus. Are you going to go back there again? Like, what are you doing? Um, and Jesus has nothing to hide. He knows where this story is going. He knows where the whole gospel story is going. He's not afraid that these people are uh, going to kill him. He knows that's where it goes, right? He says, so he says, if I walk in the day, there's no reason. There's no stumbling, right? I'm going back. And then he tells them, uh, Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples are like, okay, we'll let him rest and he'll recover. And, and they didn't understand. No, actually, Lazarus has died. Uh, and then he says this strange thing. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. And remember, this is why John said Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Remember, what he's doing is for love. And he says, I'm, Lazarus has died now. That's why I waited. And I'm glad, he says, that I wasn't there. And he says this so that you may believe but let us go to him, he says. So Thomas, called the twin, but we usually call him Thomas the doubter, says, let us also go that we may die with him. And we think of Thomas at the end of the story saying, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch Jesus's hands and his side and his feet. And here we see Jesus, I think maybe Thomas has a bad rap because here we see Thomas is like, they're going to kill Jesus if we go back there. But I'm going. I'm going to die with him. That's this statement of intense commitment and faithfulness to Jesus that he knows if we go back, Jesus may get killed. Let's go die with him then, right? There's this confidence, this faith and faithfulness to Jesus that Thomas shows in this verse that I think sometimes we forget because of his later doubting. That happens to us when sorrow, when hardship comes to us. It's easy for us to forget what came before and to see only what's now. But Jesus is reminding us here in John 11 that this is for glory. There is glory coming. Okay? So Jesus goes. This is verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we don't know how long it took for this messenger to get to Jesus, how long it took for Jesus to get back to Bethany. We don't know. But Jesus waited two days, which makes me feel like maybe that's when Lazarus dies. And Jesus took two days to get back, two days waiting, two days to get back. I don't know. Um, But it says here, Four days Lazarus has been in the tomb. Bethany was, <clears throat> Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them uh, concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Here's Martha's faith again. Remember, they sent that messenger to Jesus, believing that Jesus could heal their brother. And here she's saying, if you'd been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. So you can hear her frustration, her pain in this, that if you had made it on time, he wouldn't have died. But I know whatever you ask of God, he'll give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus says, your brother will live again. That is the hope for all believers in Christ. That, that we have fall, Paul says it, fallen asleep, but we will arise in Christ, right? And then Jesus says to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, Martha didn't quite get it. She thinks one day God will raise everybody up who's been faithful to him. And I believe that. At the last day, God will raise him up. And Jesus says, I am the one. I am the resurrection. I am the life. You put your faith in me and you will never die. Even though you die, you'll still live. And then he turns to Martha and he says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Yes, I believe. I believe you're the resurrection. So when she had said this, verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says this again twice, both sisters. If you had made it, if you had been here on time, he wouldn't have died. And then verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He sees their sorrow. He feels the depth of their pain. Remember, we started with a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He is familiar with grief. And in this, he sees their pain and their sorrow, and it says he's greatly troubled. Why is he troubled? There's a, a, a bunch of commentators who've written a bunch of things about why is Jesus troubled. Maybe he's troubled because death is the result of sin and separation in the world. That we, because of sin, death entered into the world. This is not the way that God had planned it. This is not the way that the original uh, design was, that death came into the world because of sin. And maybe he's troubled because they haven't believed him yet. Maybe he sees their sorrow and he says, don't you know? Don't you know I'm here? Maybe he's troubled because he sees them and he himself also grieves with them. I think maybe all those things at the same time. 
that death is a brokenness in the world. It's not the way that it should have been. But because of our sin, death entered into the world, right? And then it says, uh, verse 34, he says, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, Jesus wept. That Jesus, in his grief and sorrow for his friend, weeps. He enters into that sadness. He enters into that grief and he weeps with them. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the end of the story. And he weeps still with them. There is a a cultural uh, aspect in our American culture that we shouldn't be very expressive with our emotions. And I know for some cultures that's even more so. You need to... Uh, not cry in public. You need to keep it together. You need to keep a stiff upper lip, as the British says. Um, I know in a lot of Asian cultures that's true. You don't express anything outwardly. That is not the faith of the Bible. Here is the Savior of the world who will die on the cross and rise again so that we can all live again forever. And he weeps. He weeps. And that is such a comfort that Jesus knows what it's like to cry. That Hebrews says we have a sympathetic high priest who is able to identify with us in every way. That he weeps here for sorrow for his friend. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Couldn't he have saved him? That's the third time this question has happened in this passage. Why didn't Jesus come? Why didn't he save this man? He could have saved him. Then, uh, deeply moved again, Jesus came to the tomb. It was a a cave and a stone lay against it. I want to say just for a minute, I read an article I think was totally God's timing. I read an article uh, about a week ago, um, and I can't remember if it was Gospel Coalition or, or CT or, or where I read it. But the, the author of the article was a, a psychiatrist. And he was talking about this concept called spiritual bypassing. And that's where we have some difficulty, some pain, some suffering, maybe some sorrow, a loss, some grief. And instead of entering into that moment with Jesus, we come up with ways to bypass it. That, oh, it'll be, it'll be okay in the end. Or, don't worry about it, God will take care of it. Or, um, just trust God in, in it. Um, and that's so unhealthy for us. We see Jesus here deeply moved. We see him weeping. We see him troubled, greatly troubled in his spirit. He enters into this moment unafraid to face the pain. And when we try to use Bible verses or our faith to skip around it, We miss the moment of being with Jesus in the hardship and in the sorrow and in the pain. But here, Jesus, deeply moved, comes to the tomb. Jesus said in verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Don't open it. 
He's been in there four days. There will be a strong smell. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Listen, I'm about to do something amazing that you haven't seen yet. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I love this prayer, that Jesus knows our limitations. He knows that we're in the middle of it. We can't see the end yet. We're in the middle. And here Jesus says, thank you for hearing me. I, don't, I didn't pray that for me. I prayed that for all the people around so that they know that I'm here, that I'm in it, that I'm with you, that they may know that you sent me here. And remember, he's late. He's four days late, in fact. Four days ago, Lazarus was put in this tomb. And Jesus says, I prayed this so that they know that I'm here because you sent me. Not late, at the right time. At the right time. The Bible tells us that God is not slow to accomplish his promise, as we understand slowness, but that he's waiting. He's waiting for the right moment. He is waiting so that more can come in to the kingdom. So here is Jesus standing in front of the tomb, praying. And verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. <laughs> Just like that. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to use medicine. He didn't have to go in with the, the defibrillators. He just said, come out. And Lazarus came out. He just came out. He just walked out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. He didn't even take off the... He was wrapped up because he was buried. He didn't even take it off. He just walked out. He just heard Jesus' voice and he obeyed. Yeah, okay, I'll walk out. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Take off all the grave clothes and let him go. He's not dead anymore. He's free. Uh, it goes on. The story goes on. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did believed him. So here's Jesus at the start of the story saying, this doesn't end in death. It ends in glory for God and glory for the Son. And here we see that many of those who had come with him, come with Mary, believed in him. Like I mentioned, Jesus isn't slow to keep his promise. He's waiting for more to come into the kingdom. There is a time where it will end. It will be the right time. But now he's waiting to see more come in. And here we see them. We see them coming in because he waited. He said, I'm glad that I waited. I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you can believe. And now we see not just the disciples, but these others that came with Mary also believing. But some of them, it says, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So... The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now, Jesus just raised a man from the dead. Most people would say, 
that's crazy. God, God is doing something through this man. But the Pharisees say, what are we going to do about this guy? He's raising people from the dead now. We've got to do something about it. If we let him go on like this, verse 48, everyone will believe in him. If he keeps going, who's not going to follow this guy? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Here's their motivation. Rather than joining into this moment in this miraculous thing that God has done in this glorious thing, bringing glory to God and to Jesus, here's their problem. They're going to take away our power if Jesus keeps doing this stuff. So what happens? Verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You think at first he's got some sense, like, don't you know? This man just raised a man from the dead. This has got to be a guy from God. But actually, no. He says in verse 50, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So he says, you know nothing at all. And at first you think, oh, he's, he's going to get it, that Jesus is the Messiah. But actually he says, let's kill him so that we, our nation can be saved. And in the midst of that wickedness, in the midst of the chief of sin, the plotting for the murder of God himself, it says in verse 51, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Here is the glory that Jesus was promising at the beginning. This is an incredible glory that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It is an incredible glory that the disciples and those with Mary believe in him and put their faith in him. But this is the true glory that God prophesied that Jesus would die for everyone, not just for the people of Israel, but for all of us. And what is the, the pebble that starts rolling down the hill to cause this avalanche that leads to the crucifixion is the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus says at the beginning, this is for glory, what's about to happen. And we see that the next, what, 10, 12, 10 chapters of John are about what happens next. Not just Lazarus' death, but all the things that lead to the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus and his, his burial in the tomb uh, to pay for all of our sin and all of our shame. And then again, the resurrection, the true resurrection, the real resurrection, that Lazarus was just a, a picture a, a tiny little glimpse of what's about to come, what's about to happen. This sorrow with Lazarus is deep, and it's real, and Jesus weeps. The sorrow of the crucifixion is deeper still. That it says in the Bible that God laid on him the iniquity of us all, that for our punishment he was beaten. That that's the sorrow, the deepest sorrow, and then the greatest joy, that he rose again 
after that, right? So this is the hope of this John chapter 11, that this moment of sorrow and sadness that Jesus enters into becomes the everlasting hope and joy of the cross and the resurrection for all of us. So my last little thing here tonight that I had, I wanted to share with you. I just wanted to share some of the verses. There are hundreds of verses about sorrow and about mourning in the Bible that God gives us. I wanted to share some of them to help us in this moment as we grieve, to grieve uh, with hope and to grieve with this resurrection in mind. So this is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus promises to bless those who mourn. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, the same passage that Jesus quotes as the mission of his ministry on earth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the, to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. They shall be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the, the hope in our grief tonight. Our sister Faith is now united with him in a death like his. And the, the promise that God gives us in Romans 6, 5 is that because of Jesus, we can be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but a moment, and his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That for this night of the rest of our life, however long that is, the weeping will last. But then, one day, bright morning sun, we see Jesus face to face. Paul says, now we see as in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know the fullness, right? That one day that morning will dawn and we will be there with him forever. Corinthians, the second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves were comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God promises we're going to share abundantly in suffering and in sorrow, and also we'll share abundantly in Christ's comfort. This is that same, uh, same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a little bit longer, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is the gospel, this treasure. We have this treasure 
in jars of, jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. That we have this promise that even though we're wasting away, he says, even though we're crushed, we are, sorry, we are pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And our hope in Jesus is that one day we will be renewed. This light and momentary affliction, this 80, 100, 110 years of affliction, we will wake up one day and it'll all be finished. It'll all be done. And it is preparing for us an eternal glory. This is Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, sometimes people use this verse and they use it to say, like, don't feel bad, don't feel sad, because all this is working for good. That's not what Paul means here. A few verses later, this is 37, 37 to 39. Uh, a few verses, sorry, right before 37, he says, we are being killed all day long. That, that we are, at this time, they are being persecuted and put to death. And that's the context in which he says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God or are called according to his purpose. And then in 37, he says, no, in all these things, in being killed all day long, in those things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That through all of that hardship, he says, nothing will separate us from God's love. Just two more. This is Isaiah 51:11. Both of these last two are about that one day that's coming. And the ransomed of the Lord, Isaiah 51:11. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That in that day, all the sadness will run away from the presence of Jesus. 
that he paid. He paid the full price. And that day, all the sorrow and all the sadness that we feel, it says, will flee away. And one last one. This is Revelation 21.4. After all the craziness of the first 20 chapters of Revelation, he tells us what it's going to look like at the end. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That, that's the way it used to be, but it's not like that anymore. He'll wipe every tear, and there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because all those former things have passed away. That's the eternal weight of glory that Paul was talking about. The, the light and momentary suffering, it'll all be done. And we'll see him face to face. And Revelation goes on to say they won't need a sun. They won't need a moon anymore because the lamb will be their light. Jesus will be our light in that day. And we'll see him face to face. That's the promise and the comfort that we have. Not to bypass the sorrow, not to skip around, but to enter into it with Jesus, to feel the grief, to feel the pain and the loss, and to remember that there's going to be a day where it's all going to be done, and we're going to stand there with him face to face, and our hope for ourselves in this moment is that Jesus keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Mary and Martha, and he keeps his promises in the resurrection of his own death. He keeps his promises to us that one day we'll be resurrected too. That even now, Faye is with him and seeing him face to face. That one day will be us too when we trust in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. Uh, that you experienced a real human life and real human sorrow and real human sadness. Thank you that you're a sympathetic high priest for us, that you enter into the pain uh, with us, that you're not afraid of the hardship, you're not afraid of the sorrow, but you entered into that moment with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, you enter into this moment with us. And we praise you, Jesus, for it. We pray that you help us to remember your promises and grieve uh, in hope that one day, not only are we going to see our sister again, we'll see you. We'll see you face to face. And everything that we've been through will be worth it to see you, Jesus. So we pray that you be with us tonight and comfort us and be with the family and comfort them, Jesus. You are a God of all comfort. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Father God, thank you, Lord, that you have given us such a marvelous hope that we cannot even fathom. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, Lord, what you have in store for those who love you. And Father God, the best thing that we can ever possibly hope to taste and experience on earth, Lord, is nothing compared to the glory that you have in store, Lord, for your, for your chosen ones, Lord, for your redeemed. So thank you, Father God, that, Lord, we don't grieve without hope. That, Father God, that every, every time we, we wrestle, Lord, with the, and we, we, we feel the, the sting of death and the, and the aroma of the curse of sin, Lord, it points us, our eyes upward, Lord, to the, to the greater hope that, is, that awaits us, Lord, the, our heavenly dwelling with Christ, a new creation in the Father's love forever and ever, where, Lord, there every tear will be wiped away. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for our sister Faye, and that we will see her again, Lord, that when we approach those gates, Lord, we know that, she will, that we'll see her face behind yours, Lord, welcoming us. So Father God, let us continue, Father, to just grow in the, in the love and the fellowship, Lord, in Christ, and, and, let, and let our grief... Lord, build that within us. Build Christ-likeness within us. Build hope within us. So, Father, use, Father, these tears. Use, these, use this pain, Lord, to produce hearts of worship and love for your name as we rejoice in all that you've done for us. Christ, let me pray. Amen.